Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is David Speed. David, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Sure, real quick. I am um, from New Orleans, um, here in Louisiana. My parents are from Canada, and my sister and I are the first born uh, in the United States. And here at Celebration, I am the pastor of our Hispanic ministries, which is why I mentioned that my parents are from Canada, because I'm super white. I'm not Spanish at all, but <laughs> that's what I do. So, yeah, I yeah. guess Spanish isn't exactly widely spoken in Canada, I guess. No. Uh, obviously, yeah. French is quite big over yeah. there. But Right. Um, okay, so then for people that listen to this and they say, I like this David, I want to find out more about him, see what he's up to, where could they do that? Sure. Um, you can find us, uh, social media, Iglesia Celebration is what your, our tag is. Um, Iglesia is the word for church, mm-hmm. so Celebration Church. Um, Iglesia Celebration. Yeah. Okay, and I'll put that in the description box so it's there for everyone just Make to go sure straight you spell to. It right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find that link beforehand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Check it with you. <laughs> so, how did you come to be? You say you're from Canada, you're in the US, and here you are leading a Spanish-speaking church. Help us to bridge that gap a bit. Sure. Um, you want the short version or the? What well, we've, we've got between 30 minutes to an hour, so... <laughs> Let it roll. Sure. Okay. Um, here in Louisiana, or well, specifically here in New Orleans, we talk um, pre- and post-Katrina. It's what everybody talks about mm. their lives, mm. basically. Um, the hurricane that hit here in 2005. So pre-Katrina, um, I was uh, a new Christian, brand new Christian, um, around 2004, 2005. And, um, you know, just kind of going to school and figuring life out. And then the hurricane hit. And right after that, um, God just kind of shook my life and, you know, moved things around. And I say that because um, right after Katrina, a friend of mine, um, Stephen Daigle, who's also a pastor here at Celebration, he and I um, basically started a, a Bible study group with some youth And it began to grow and began to um, get a lot bigger than we thought it was going to. And so we kind of just started doing ministry, um, preaching and teaching and leading worship every week um, without thinking that that's the way it was going to go. But it did. And the reason I mention all that is because um, right after Katrina and doing all that, I was uh, driving to school. I was going on my way to uh, university here, the University of New Orleans. And I passed by a hardware store here um, on one of the main roads. And I noticed that there were hundreds of Hispanics that were standing out because many of them came here after Katrina for work. Hmm. And I mentioned that, it seems like a funny detail to mention, but I didn't notice it at the time, but God used that moment as a catalyst to put within me a desire to want to learn the Spanish language. Because as I drove by that day, I looked at those guys and I had this overwhelming desire to want to get out of my car and go talk to them, Mm. but I couldn't, I didn't speak uh, any Mm. Spanish. 
And at the time, I didn't know that God was eventually going to bring me into missions and to learn the language. I just wanted to talk to them because they were there. And I don't know, I just had the desire to do so. So fast forward a few months, um, we brought this youth group that we were leading to this youth camp and pre-service videos were playing before a service and they played an announcement about a ministry in Mexico, uh, an orphanage. And if you can imagine being at a youth camp with a bunch of kids, you know, they were all over the place, there's music going on and I was just focused on this video. I just could not take my eyes off. And I just had this overwhelming desire again to wanna learn Spanish. I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. So, but I just said, you know, whatever, forgot about it. A few months went by and a friend of mine um, who was a missionary in Mexico, who had actually gone to that youth camp with us. He said, hey, uh, Dave, I forgot to tell you while we were at that camp, I saw you watching that video. And I honestly didn't even remember him. What are you talking about? What video? He said, I saw you watching that video about that ministry in Mexico. And just so you know, you know, I used to live in Mexico as a missionary. If you've ever liked to go, you can't you can go and you could see what it's about. And I said, uh, nah, no, thank you. I don't think that's, that's for me. I really didn't feel like it. Um, but I could not shake just the desire to want to learn Spanish. That's what it was for me. It wasn't about being a missionary. It wasn't about getting involved in ministry. I didn't know that that was my calling at all. I just wanted to learn Spanish. And so as some months went on and school got out, I called this friend and I said, you know, I'll take you up on your offer. I'll, uh, I'll go to Mexico for the summer and take some Spanish classes while I'm there and enjoy the beach and just hang out. And so that's what I thought I was doing when I went to Mexico for the first time in 2007, um, two years after Katrina. And when I got there, I felt like I was tricked, but they basically, long story short, got me involved in helping build a church there from scratch, mixing concrete um, every day for hours on end. But that's how I learned. Spanish. And I say all that because um, being there in Mexico with no plans to be in ministry, no plans to be a pastor, no plans to do anything with ministry, um, God birthed that desire in me to see the need that the people had, to see not just the physical need, but the spiritual need and all those things. And so I thought I was going to live in Mexico for the rest of my life and become a church planner in Mexico. That's what I, God called me to do while I was there. Um, and then that's why I asked if you want the long or the short story, because in 2009, when I was living in Mexico, the swine flu hit. <laughs> and so that kind of changed the plans. I don't know how much detail you want with that, but. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people, they feel like God's called them to do something. And so they start to line up their life choices to head in that direction. Whereas yeah. for you, it seems like that was more flipped for you. You, you had a heart for something and you were lining up life choices which were sending you in a direction where obviously you would end up with this massive heart for missions and for going. So it was almost a flip for you. Yeah, well said. Yeah, so exactly. you've, um, you've whetted your appetite. You said, and then the swine flew and let me know if you want to know more. Of course we want to know more. Oh, okay. Yeah, leave you hanging. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, quickly. So my mom and my sister, after two years of living in Mexico, I had always invited them. I want you to come down and see how I'm living. And they'd always say, oh, we'll see, we'll see. So eventually they came down in May of 2009. Um, and it was a great trip. But three specific things happened on that trip. Um, that kind of changed the course of my life. And they're all kind of funny things. Um, the first one was I was bringing my mother from her hotel to where we lived in Mexico, um, which was a more poor, you know, impoverished area. And uh, 
I'll give you the detail. We're driving into the parking lot and a naked lady jumps out of the bushes and starts banging on the front of my car. And she's drugged out. She had taken drugs and all these things. And my mom's looking at me like, and I'm like, I promise, I don't know who that is. I don't know her. Never seen her before in my life. Um, but that was my mom's introduction to where I was living in Mexico. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, this is not going well. God, please help this trip get better. There's but no then easing her into it. Yes, exactly. So I brought her to the hotel later that night. Um, and while we're sitting there, I noticed that the TV starts to shake. And I said, oh, no, it's an earthquake which it was a minor earthquake, but for us here in Louisiana, we never have those. And so of course my mom and my sister are freaking out. So we have a naked lady in the morning, earthquake <laughs> in the evening, things are a little crazy. So the next morning we wake up, I'm like, all right, God, please just let things be a little better. We turn on the TV and CNN and all the news stations are saying, if you're in Mexico, get out of Mexico immediately because there is a swine flu pandemic that is on the way and do not travel to Mexico. And if you're in Mexico, get out immediately. So I said, Oh, this is not good. <laughs> so we went to the airport that same day. They wouldn't let me in. Everybody was wearing masks, the whole thing. My mom left, my sister left. And my mom said, you're coming back to the States. And I said, Nope, I'm not, because <laughs> this is where I live now. And I don't want to leave. That's not, I don't think that's right to leave these people. And, um, you know, it's hard not to listen to your mother. So a week later, I bought a flight and I flew home to the States. The reason I mention all that is because when I got home to the States, I thought I was going to live in Mexico the rest of my life. And so I was kind of home for the first time in two years asking God, like, what, what do you want? What do you want me to do? I want to go back, you know, but I don't want to make the wrong decision. And so I felt like God was telling me to take a year or, you know, a few months and to finish school and to work and save up some money and kind of just reestablish things and, you know, make the right decisions after that. So I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I felt like God was telling me to do. Hmm. And so I signed up to take classes at the seminary and to teach Spanish in a local school. And everything was going to start in August of 2009. I was ready to go. In July of 2009, right before August, I had to fly back to Mexico because I would drive there when I lived there. And so I had to fly back to get my car so I could bring it back to the States. And on the way back from uh, Mexico to the States, driving my car, a friend of mine called me and said, hey, um, our church is going to Guatemala and we'd love for you to go. And I said, well, when is it? And they said, it's the first week of August. And I said, that'd be amazing because the second week of August, I have to start a real job and go to school and I'm not looking forward to it. So it'd be great to get out of the country one more time. So... I had it planned. They asked me if I could go, if I could pay for it. I said, yes, how much is it? And I'll never forget this at $650. I said, perfect. I have, I have that amount of money. I think I have $700 in my bank account. So let's do it. So I say that because driving back through Mexico City, um, we got pulled over by the police. And long story short, they stole all my money. They took every, every last cent that I had in my bank account. And so... A lot of things happened, but on the way back, driving, you know, to the States, I called my friend and I said, look, you know, you invited me to go to Guatemala, $650, but I don't have that money anymore. So, you know, thanks for the offer, but, you know, maybe next time. So I got home, kind of reestablishing myself, you know, getting settled in. And uh, that same friend called me and said, hey, you know, we leave next week. 
but somebody heard about what happened to you in Mexico and they'd offered to pay for your trip if you'd still like to go. And mm. till this day, I have no idea who that person was, but they paid for the trip and I was able to go. And the reason I'm so happy I was able to go was because when I got to Guatemala, just like the moment when I drove by that hardware store years earlier and I saw those people and I just felt the desire to speak with them. And just like the moment when I was at that youth camp and I saw the video about the ministry in Mexico, when I got to Guatemala and we were serving at an orphanage, I just felt like God was telling me, this is where I want you to stay. And I'll be honest, the best part would have been if I said, okay, God, yes. But I said, no, I said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know when I don't want to make an emotional decision. I don't feel like this is, I, I got to go home first and figure things out. So I went home and that lasted 11 days. I stayed home for 11 days. And then I knew I couldn't, I knew that Guatemala was the place for me. I moved back to Guatemala um, a few months later in 2009. And the, the short version is that's where um, I eventually met my wife, uh, Rosa, and her daughter, Kimberly, uh, who's my daughter now. And we lived and served at the orphanage where Rosa and Kimberly grew up um, serving as house parents to boys ages three to 10. We had 15 boys and we did that for a few years. Um, then God eventually opened the door for us to come to the States. Um, and that's where we started coming to celebration, met Pastor Dennis. We would come on Saturday nights to the English service and I would translate in my wife's ear um, everything Pastor Dennis would say. And eventually we started a life group in Spanish. Um, that life group grew from five people to 40 people. And then from 40 people, we started a service. And that service has since grown in the last six years. Pre-pandemic, we had um, some weekends with kids. We had up to 500 people um, in the Spanish service here. Mm. And since then, we've launched two campuses here in the States. And we have two campuses in Costa Rica now, all in the last six years. Um, so that's the short version. Hopefully, but, hopefully the person who, who gave the gift to send you there, uh, maybe they're even listening who knows? Uh, and if they are, uh, a thank you to them. But hopefully they will see, uh, and maybe they already know. Who knows? No one knows who they are. But um, hopefully they will see the, the fruit of the seed that they sowed. Um, yeah. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. yeah. Maybe some of those youngsters that you saw by the side of the road might be listening. You never know. Only eternity turn to tell. So, so a, a minor detail, just out of curiosity, how long did it take you to go from, I need to learn Spanish to be, being fluent? Well, where I moved in Mexico, no one spoke English at all. Right. So basically in the on and off for two years there, where I, would li where I lived is the time it took me, about two years. Mm -hmm. Right. Right, so, yeah. so I'm going to pick up another detail that you skipped over quickly. You said, <laughs> okay. Kimberly, her daughter, who is my daughter now. Yeah. Um, what's that about? Yeah, so um, my wife, Rosa, arrived at the orphanage there in Guatemala, pregnant with Kimberly when she was 15. And so Kimberly was born um, in 2001. And um, they, her whole life, all she knew was the orphanage. And so when I met Kimberly, she had just turned, uh, about to turn eight. And so... Um, I met her and, you know, started getting to know her mother and all these things. And 
we'd always talked about if, um, you know, we're not just going to date because if we're going to do that, it needs to be something serious. If this is going to be for real, then, you know, we have Kimberly to think about and all these things. And so um, Kimberly, uh, I say that she was, she's my daughter now. Um, the reason I say that is because a few months ago, well, actually a year ago now, Kimberly turned 18. And before that, um, living here, even living in Guatemala, um, I was considered her stepdad, but not even, you know, legally as, you know, mm. her mother's her mother, and then I'm married to her mother. Mm. And so when we moved here to the States, there were all these moments that we lived together, trying to get her driver's license or sign for papers or for her at her school or things like that. And I could never sign for them because legally I wasn't um, her dad. And so when she turned 18, um, we did a legal adult, well, we surprised her with the legal adult adoption. And so we changed her name to my last name. And I told her that day, um, we actually have a video of it. I told her that uh, the day that she was born, although I wasn't there, the day she was born, um, she, was, she became my daughter and I became her father just because God sees the whole story. And so um, I was able to do that. And it's one of the highlights of my life. She makes me so proud. So, yeah. I, I was talking to somebody else just this morning, um, similar but not the same story, and she said um, her daughter was almost 18 and they, um, they got the, the birth certificate given. She said, I was shocked when I saw that the birth certificate, it went back to birth. It wasn't just like now it went back to birth and she yeah. said she realized then how what an image that is of god's adoption his yeah. foreknowledge his so can you talk to us david about adoption and it lining up with the heart of the father and and the whole because it, it must be something that speaks deeply to your heart yeah yeah absolutely i think about um and for my life like what, like what I said about Kimberly, my daughter, when she was born, um, she became my daughter that moment. Um, that, that's how it is with the Lord, that God talks about how he adopts us into his family. And adoption is not just um, a name change or an addition to the family, but you become someone with all the rights of a uh, biological family member. Um, and that's something that can't be lost. It's something that can't be taken away. It's not just something that's written on paper, um, but it's something that is eternal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I love the fact that um, I was able to serve so many years with my wife at an orphanage, and we walked through the process of adoption with so many kids. Um, and we saw that. We saw the change in their life, not just the change in their name, but the change in their, their situation, the change in their lifestyle, the change in the way they dress, the change in the way they spoke. Everything changed um, for them when they were able to be adopted into a forever family, family of uh, mother and father that took care of them. So adoption is like that for us. God doesn't just, it's not an addition to our life. It's a complete change in our life. So... You know, getting again into the heart of the father. You said it's on the highlights of your life. What did it? What did it do to your heart? Changing from being a stepfather to the father, even though 
even though on a perhaps a day-to-day basis you still got up still always living in the same house even though superficially some people looking from the outside in will go well what changed it's only on paper what changed what happened to your heart in that for me um it is always like this but you you know you say that um people on the outside looking in um you know, let's see the things didn't change. Mm. But for us, for, for my daughter and I, um, one of the things that really was most impactful for me that really affected me, changed my heart and hers as well, was the power behind knowing that other people would look at us and would know that legally that it turned like I'm her father. And the reason I say that is because um, there's can be somewhat of a perception that a stepfather um, is just that, oh, it's your stepfather. It's not like the real thing almost. Mm. Um, but for us, when we were able to change the name, it was like other people, it almost like their opinion of us or their perception of us um, had to adapt to that as well. Because before they could just look at me like, oh yeah, that, you know, that's, the guy that married Kimberly's mom, but now um, they have to look at us and understand that, no, like I am, uh, I'm her father. And so I say that because the effect that it had on my heart um, was, was just that the effect that the testimony that we were able to walk with and show other people um, that they can understand that this is more than just signing a piece of paper or more than just a title um, but this is something uh, eternal. It's something biblical. It's something even spiritual. So. Yeah. Mm. So she was older. So yeah. there was a, a different dynamic, is there not, between a younger child who doesn't have any say in this, but she actually chose you too in that moment because she yeah. presumably, and I don't know, presumably she too had to sign off to this. Correct. Yeah. So what we did when we surprised her, I told her, you know, we have all the paperwork lined up. And it was a Friday night that I surprised her with it. And I told her Monday morning or Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. We have an appointment with the lawyer where we both have to go sign. Uh, And so the tears that came down her face hit me because that, just like you said, her reaction was, I want to sign. I want to, I want this to happen. I want, you know, it's not just something that you want. It's something that she wanted as well, which made it even, even more impactful. What was the journey like for her? going back to the beginning um presumably i mean you you did you get to know kimberly more before the mum so or was it uh, more the other yeah. way around yeah so we joke um because when i was living there um the first time that i met rosa my wife was um maybe 10 minutes after i had met kimberly Okay. And Kimberly was telling me, oh, well, you know, my mom's on her way up here. Um, we're going to watch a movie. And I had been invited with some of the other people that lived at the orphanage. We were going to have like a movie night and watch a movie. And so when Kimberly told me my, her mom's on the way, I said, oh, okay, that's great. You know? Um, and then her mom walked in and she said, this is my mom. And I remember <laughs> we, we, we laugh about it now because my wife's very small. She's very short. And I, there was no way I could believe that that was her mother, <laughs> like her you know, older sister, maybe. Um, but after that, um, cause where we lived, it wasn't like you can date and all these things. We're living at an orphanage. It was just, you know, a lot of structure, a lot of different things. And so 
my um, in to meeting and getting to know her mother first went through Kimberly. So Kimberly was one of the kids that hung out with the kids that I was taking care of. And so Kimberly um, was the one that I got to know first more than, than her mother, um, which actually ended up being a great thing because that was ended up being one of the most important aspects of us moving forward with the relationship was that Kimberly accepted me um, as well. Yeah, I was going to say, what was that like for her at the beginning, going from you being someone that's caring for them all to you being someone who's caring for her? Yeah. Um, but it sounds like it was, was it relatively smooth? She, she was very open to that at the beginning? Yeah, the reason, see, the reason being is because I had an iPod back then and so all the kids <laughs> would ask for it <laughs> all the kids would ask for it and i would tell them no but kimberly would always get it you're and like so okay was, fine she was the most popular kid so <laughs> so yeah. you know we we read about we talk about the spirit of adoption um but i think for most of us it's like spirit of adoption read on you know we we don't hang in that moment mm. would you say that for you it has taken on a, a whole new um emphasis focus when you read it now it isn't just spirit of adoption move on it's something that stays right in front of you yeah the the overwhelming like i get you know chills i get goosebumps when i talk about it because the way that i see my daughter has opened up completely the side of uh, that i didn't understand before about how god sees me and so it's it completely, I live in that all the time. It's something that I live with. I'm aware of all the time. So it creates this constant appreciation um, of the way that God opened the way to adopt me. Mm. So absolutely. And, and it's what we feel and your experience is only a fraction right. of how he feels. So like your experience is completely overwhelming on its own. Right. Like when we get to understand just how... Um, great his love is for us and the, uh, the whole adoption thing with him i mean just mm-hmm. mind-blowing i'm thinking too about your story you know he says you didn't choose me i chose you and mm. and that's your story you chose her she she had no power to choose you as a child she, she, she had no authority no power no insight no understanding what it meant there was nothing in her as a child that could pop I mean, she could choose you as somebody she liked and, you know, you call somebody uncle so-and-so because in her life, but she couldn't choose that adoption journey right. like you did when you chose chose to enter a relationship with a mother. You made mm. a separate commitment and you mm. chose her. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, my mind is thinking about all the dynamics that have gone on for you and how we can learn from them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, it is it is overwhelming. So even even now, does it made? Did you used to talk about her as your daughter, always, or is it something that's changed since adoption? Yeah. No. We, we always. It, it was never uh, the wor- The worst part for us, and f- well, for me, and I knew it was for her too, was when, like I said, when we would go places where it required um, some type of legal transaction, and there were multiple times where I never even thought about it. We would go, we went to, you know, get her driver's license and we were, did all the paperwork. We did everything. We were ready to go. And then when it came time for me to sign, um, they asked for my driver's license and I showed it and they're like, well, who, 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 what, your last name's different. 
And it was this moment where like we would look at each other and it hurt so bad. We, we wouldn't even like she would look at me and I would look at her and it would, it would hurt. You know, when we'd go through customs at the airport, when we would do anything like I, I, I had no say, I had no authority, nothing. Um, even though, and it hurts so bad because she's my daughter. I didn't need a piece of paper to, to mm. determine that. Mm. Um, so that's why I say that the, the, in, the, the part that is so impactful for us now is that other people have to accept it. They have to recognize it. It's valid. It's legal. Um, it, af- it affects them as well. They can't just pass it off as something um, that it's a stepdaughter, a fa- stepfather relationship. Now it's real. Um, even for them, even though it always always been real for us, um, but it just shows the the power behind the legal side of it, and that's a biblical thing as well. It's it's a binding uh, agreement that can't be changed now. So yeah, absolutely. Um, even though she was always my daughter, um, it means a lot for us now that other people have to recognize that as well. Yeah, that is um, it, it, it's so impacting listening to you because we hear your heart behind this we hear what it meant to you we hear hear it through your eyes and I think unless we have walked that journey we can only look at it from the outside in but even for ourselves we can't really understand it because we haven't been adopted so again it's a more detached yeah view of it I can tell you something that um even another reason why um, it's so impactful for me, hmm. the fact that you're able to sign legally, like it, why it means so much that it, it's something that you can't take back. Um, we, we would have um, a few times at the orphanage where we lived when my wife and I um, were caring for these some boys. We had two different occasions where um, a family was coming in and doing visitation with the potential child that they were gonna adopt. And it happened to us twice. Um, and there are moments that I'll never forget. Um, and that one of these boys um, was doing visitation weekly with a family. They were getting to know each other. They were preparing for the adoption. They were preparing for the legal side of the adoption. And it got to the point where the child was allowed to do certain weekend vacations with this family to the point that they were preparing everything, getting it all ready for him to be adopted. And then at the end, the family came one day and said, you know, we changed our mind. Oh. We don't want him. That's why I say that the, it hurt. I saw the effect of the child. I held that child, you know, every night after that, cried with that child, you know, saw the impact that it had. Um, so it makes the opposite so much more impactful that God would never do that to us, that God goes through everything to open the door because he was ready to sign. He signed with Jesus. He said, it's done. There's no turning back. This is it, you know? And so, um, I'm able to, with those, that lens, with the, that, that um, perspective, that's how I see my daughter. I love my daughter. There's no turning back. You know? It's interesting, you know, David, because I don't think I've ever spoken to you about this or even acknowledged it with you. I've talked about other things. I've never, and, and the reason why I approached you about it, because I don't know where I was in the world, don't know where, but you posted something on Facebook about it. And, and, I just saw it and it really stayed with me. So it wasn't just something that went on by. And, and that's why I came back and said, yeah. would you do a podcast on it? So the impact of that, even scrolling through Facebook and, and what you posted, deeply impacted me at that moment. So 
the the dynamics and um well, the, the whole adoption thing, it, it, it's, I think it, it's because it is just so much bigger than... Um, right. So let, let's take a little bit of a twist on this. Sure. What would you say to people who, different scenarios perhaps, were even considering adoption? What, I was about what, to ask about this. You are about to ask that. Well, uh, what would uh, you say to I went, them? I was going to say, has this process given you a greater appreciation for just adoption, generally speaking, um, and then go on to what you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. 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 The, um, I'm, I'm blessed to have had, um, the years of ministry that I had specifically in, in Guatemala with the orphanage there. Cause I was able to make so many, um, friendships with people who, you know, were Guatemalan and then people who also traveled from different places in the world and were living as missionaries in Guatemala or people who would come and just temporarily be there. And I've able to, I've been able to see, every spectrum, I guess, of possibilities of scenarios for, for adoption. And so it creates this bond between families that have gone through the process that you don't even have to like say anything. Just when one parent knows to another parent that you've adopted a child, there's this immediate understanding and bond. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because I can just give you a couple of examples. Um, I have a friend who his wife and um, and he had lived in Guatemala for many years. He actually just recently moved back to the States, um, but they were able to adopt two teenage boys um, while they were there in Guatemala, which is a huge deal because, you know, older kids tend to get overlooked um, and not chosen, if you want to say it that way. And then I've seen other people who um, I'm friends with who have experienced the extreme highs and extreme lows of adoption and the process. Um, there's a, a lady who, who I'm good friends with. Um, she lives in the States now um, with her adopted daughter. But when she first initiated the process of adoption, when her daughter was a, an infant, um, everything was working out. Everything was good to go. Government was in agreement. Everything was getting signed and worked out. And she was one of the cases that literally got as far as the airport with passport in hand and everything ready to go. And when she got there, the officials at the airport said, the law has been changed. There are no international adoptions from Guatemala to the United States. You cannot take this child. And this lady fought for six years in the judicial system of Guatemala to change it, to be able to get her daughter. Um, she fought because she knew the same way that it wasn't just a child that she was choosing. God had told her and made it very clear, this is the child that's for you. And so she fought through that and is a great living testimony of just the power of the love that adoption creates. So I say that because just there are two different spectrums, you know, of the fight that it can be to go through it. Cause it's not easy. It's expensive. You have to do all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, obviously I wouldn't say that the love for an adopted child is different for the love for a biological child, but the fight a lot of times to get an adopted child is a lot harder. Um, and so there's this bond, um, not only between parent and child, but between other parents who have gone through the process of adoption. It's like unspoken. You don't have to say it. They just know um, what people have been through and where their heart is. Yeah. Mm, wow. So, but, you know, th there is the first question that usually comes to people's minds with adoption. I I've heard it other times. How can you love a child that is not biologically yours? I mean, that, I would think that's one of the first ones you hear, is it, or not? I can understand the question. Um, yeah. 
yeah. But I've seen, um, that's why one of the reasons why when people would talk to me about it, I would say, well, I'd love to get you uh, out of the country to visit so you can see and you can experience for yourself. Because talking about it, you know, is fine and people can understand the maybe the logistics of adoption and, you know, desire even behind it. But once God places that desire on your heart um, to adopt or even to explore what adoption would look like, um, it's not the process of going to even another country or even the country you live in and just looking at a couple of kids and picking them out. I am confident and I believe with all my heart that when God calls a family to adopt, he knows the child. He knows what child is gonna, he's going to connect them with. It's not the process of going to a store and picking out, oh, I'll pick this kid. Mm-hmm. I believe that God ordains it. He puts it together to where this child and this parent are going to get together because he sees the whole story. He sees how, how they started. He sees how it ends. And so I say that because that answers the question of how a, a parent could love a child that isn't biologically theirs. Because honestly, like I said, I am... I say it, and I know it's hard for other people to understand, but this is my reality, that when my daughter was born, even though I wasn't standing there in the delivery room, I became her father that day. Yeah. And so it's just a reality that you, you learn to understand and live with. For people, young people, and for all of us growing up, you know, the, your father, our, our opinion, our perspective of the Heavenly Father is heavily affected by how our earthly father treats us. And, you know, we haven't gone into their situation specifically, but what a great opportunity for you to be that good reflection to her of the Heavenly Father and how just even that dynamic would change the course of her life going yeah. forward. Um, yeah. yeah, which you know, is a lot of pressure for, for you, <laughs> <Yeah>. obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. but I, I have seen examples that you've just been talking about when um, there was a couple that was going to adopt a child. I think it was from China. I can't remember. But um, there were some problems with that adoption. And they said, but this child is ready. This child, this other child is waiting. This child is it. Would you take this one? And they were like, no. I won't. I'm take that child. And although they could have walked out the country with another child, they fought for about five years for that one child, which is what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think how God fought for us. And some of us, he, well, for all of us, he fought a lifetime, but the price that Jesus paid for that, for those papers to be signed, for the covenant to be made, that we belong to him. What a powerful story, David. What a powerful story. Mm. Incredible. Yeah, thank you, David. Thank you so much for taking the time. We really, really appreciate you coming, sharing your story, your family story, and uh, hopefully... Hopefully it inspires other people who are listening to maybe explore this road, um, potentially looking at adoption as something. And uh, I'm sure um, you're wanting to say something. Well, I was going to say not just that adoption. Maybe there's some listening who could explore being adopted by the Heavenly Father too. Yeah. <laughs> it goes a number of ways. Yeah. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.